it has been a huge teacher for me about love, you know, self-love and unconditional love, just a feeling of, of that deep knowing in your heart that you're worthy of love, that you are love, and that you can give and receive love with ease. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I am Amber Magnolia Hill. This is episode 80, and today I'm sharing my interview with Damiana Calvario. I have been absent of late, as you might have noticed. This time of year, fire season in Northern California is incredibly intense, distracting, hard to focus, hard to think, and that along with everything else, everything else everyone is experiencing in the world. I've noticed year after year, it gets very hard for me to work to form a coherent thought to put together creative projects during this time of year. But as it's cooling down, I'm feeling more myself and excited to release some more episodes coming up. Uh, Let me tell you about Damiana first. She is a mixed woman of color, a daughter, sister, caregiver, community member, survivor, first-generation immigrant. Born and raised in Mexico City to a large family, she inherited both her mother's and father's lineages. Currently living as a guest in Chumash Land, greater LA area, with her partner and two dogs, Her practice blends together her Mexican roots, mixed upbringing, food as medicine, corandorismo studies, Western herbal training, and mutual aid. For this episode's Patreon offering, and this is going to be open to everyone, not just patrons, this will be at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Damiana is giving away five essences that she has made that we speak about in this episode. So this was created during an essence-making circle that she hosted. And she says, during this circle, we worked with the living water of a cenote, blessed by blue dragonflies, who came to the bowl to rest for a few moments. Cenotes are openings on the land that expose water from the underground cave river system. The word cenote comes from Mayan that may translate to depth or water cave. Cenotes are living altars for many offerings to this day and main sources of fresh water for many indigenous communities. Cenotes are also considered gates or portals into other worlds. They are liminal in between spaces. Dragonflies bring messages of hope, transformation, change, ancestors, beauty, presence, truth, authenticity, and more. There's a Mayan legend that talks about 400 of them holding and bringing back Ixchel to life after her physical body was shattered into pieces. So again, towards the end of this interview, Damiana shares more about the experience of making this essence and the surprise of these dragonflies landing on the essence-making bowls. And, and we get more into this myth, too, of Ixchel, among many other beautiful turns that this conversation takes, including the really incredible story of what happened when Damiana was held up at gunpoint and the change of heart that her perpetrator underwent during that holdup. 
She's a beautiful herbalist, a kind, wonderful soul who I am so happy to have crossed paths with in this life. And I'm thrilled to be sharing this conversation with you. Well, let me quickly say as well that the last date to enter the giveaway to win one of the five essences that she's making available will be November 12th. I will also let you know, since Damiana mentions our elderberry elixir, that we have started churning out our fall 2021 batches. The first one has already sold out. When this releases, the second one will not yet be released, but will be pretty soon. So if you're not already signed up for our newsletter, go ahead and head over to mythicmedicine.love and take our fun quiz in order to be signed up. Or you can also just scroll to the bottom of any page on the website and just sign up right away and skip the quiz. Okay, that's it. I'm happy to be back. I love doing this podcast. I don't plan to stop doing this podcast, but sometimes there'll be few and far between. Thank you to everyone who continues to support both financially on Patreon and just through your loving presence out there in the world. All right. Damiana Calvario drops her wisdom now. Okay, Damiana, so happy to finally be talking to you. I've been wanting to um, connect with you and have you on the podcast for a long time. Do you remember how we met? We made it. Yay. I can't believe (laughs) We've, we've been trying for so long. Like, I don't know. I feel like months now, maybe. Yes, I was looking back and our emails were in the spring. <laughs> we're here now. I feel like we connected first, like at this women's gathering called Spirit Weavers, maybe like, oh, maybe like six years ago now. Yeah. Yes. So, what I remember right. is at that gathering uh, when it was in Mendocino County, I was teach. we had already met. And then later that day or the next day, so then I was teaching a class and I had all these heavy materials to haul to like the other side of the land. And you helped me. You, you just you saw that I had all this stuff that I wasn't going to be able to carry myself and you grabbed some of it. And then we got to talk the whole walk and just saw what a, I don't know, just kind and lovely, beautiful soul you are during that walk. Thank you. I didn't remember that. I, I don't know if it was the year we met or the next one, but I remember you like super beautiful, pregnant with your belly. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe that was the second year that I saw you there. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. I, you were one of those people that I'm always like, oh, pregnant people look so beautiful and they carry themselves with like so much grace and they can do anything they wanted. Like they were like in the middle of nowhere, like teaching about oiling and all of this amazing stuff. So yeah, you're always like that beautiful fairy image in my mind. Oh, that's so sweet. I know what you mean. It's like big pregnant women and newborn babies are like just these exalted beings in my mind as well. It's like, you know, you're, you're close to something sacred. I love always being in their presence and yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask first about your Instagram bio. The first, the first words in it are um, abuela and training. Yeah. I, I, wanted, I love that. And I want to ask why that for you is like the most important first thing to put out in this, you know, public social media space. Yeah. Well, it's meant to be something funny. Sometimes people react to it as like, oh, are you like, so focused on age or on, on aging like now that I'm 
I mean, I'm young, but I'm not like a young adult anymore. Like I'm in my mid thirties and yeah. And it, it has nothing to do with that. I think one of my big identities is a granddaughter and my, both of my grandmothers were very involved in raising me and my sister. So I've always just looked up to them so much. Like my grandmothers have been like these huge figures in my life and I've always wanted to be a grandma. And also that is kind of like a nickname amongst my friends. Like, oh, you're such a grandma, like always in the kitchen or making all of this like kitchen remedies. So I just love that. I just love being a grandma and also not on the side of like having kids and grandkids. In the Mexica tradition, abuela is also a title for a like respected auntie or respected elder or like a like a person that carries knowledge and word. And of course, I'm not there, but just a baby in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like um, caretaking really is the heart of that for you. And you are such a care giving, caretaking, care centered person. Oh, thanks, baby. Thank you. Yeah. What do you have as the first line in your bio? Do you remember? I don't. <laughs> it, it was such a long time. I haven't updated it. I think it might be the um, the podcast tagline, which is remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. What is the tradition that you just named? Mexica. So the indigenous people from the center of Mexico who founded Me- Mexico, Tenochtitlan. So they are mostly from Nahua. Nahua, that is like the... It's also very complex. It's like many different groups of people that spoke the same language, which is Nahuatl. And then, yeah, they were like on pilgrimage for a long time. They got to center Mexico. And then the myth says that they were looking for a sign, which was like an eagle eating a snake on top of a cactus and nopal. So then they found it and then they founded their city and their whole civilization there. Mm. And of course, everything's been mixed now and it's hard to find like the pure knowledge, but I'm not really fixated on that. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I found that in trying to uncover my oldest daughter's indigenous Mexican heritage. It's it's hard to like find the threads and figure out like what's what. And yeah, it seems like that's comforting for me to hear that I'm not um, missing something that there's kind of oh no no, it's so complex yeah Yeah. it's so complex and does she have ancestry from Mexico City or from like the center valley of Mexico her great-grandmother on her father's side he always said Oaxacan but I recently found her birth certificate or some sort of birth declaration and um it wasn't in Oaxaca but I know what it is but I'm forgetting it right now yeah, we can talk about it later. I mean, not that I'm an expert and there are so many different cultures and um, nations in Mexico, but yeah, if I, if I can, if we, we can just geek out about it. I would love to. And then that the, the symbol with the eagle and the snake and the cactus, that's, I mean, you see that on all sorts of Mexican. Yeah, it's still this, the national symbol, like in the flag, in our, in the money, like in our coins. Like yes, and I didn't know that was an indigenous rooted symbol. Yeah, yeah. And it's also of one specific group, right? So the one that was like an empire. So there's also like a lot to be said about that, you know, like why are we so fixated with this? tradition in the center of the country because it's now it's like such a centralized country and it was a patriarchal society so yeah it's like a very complex and 
it also has its like not super romantic side. Right. Um, but you grew up in Mexico City, right? Yeah, I was born and raised in Mexico City. My parents were born and raised there too, but then my grandparents immigrated from other parts of the country. So I know I have Yoeme in my blood that comes from Sonora. And then Nahua that comes from Jalisco. And I recently just dis- not discovered, but um, found out exactly the community where the last like indigenous elder, like fully indigenous elder, or at least the last birth certificate that we have registered as indigenous was from Tuxpan. And then on my mom's side, I'm a quarter Japanese. So there's also immigration from like other parts of the world. And then we know we have Iberian blood. We always thought, I don't know why, but in my family, they always said Portuguese. And I just grew up kind of like assuming that. But then my dad just did one of this like DNA tests. And it said that it was actually Italy. And then we went online and then my last name is Calvario. And there is a mountain called Calvario in Portugal. So we always just assumed it was from that. But then from the blood test, we found this other mountain in Italy that's called Calvario. So we think our people came from there. So now super excited to go on pilgrimage over there and just meet, meet our ancestral mountain. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing to have the name tied into the landscape like that. Mm -hmm. I always find it so interesting what people's last name is like Smith or, you know, like what do they do? Like what was our craft? Mm -hmm. But then knowing the place is also as magical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, or Hill is my last name. And as far as I can tell the direct Hill lineage, they're just either Scottish or Irish. And so it's like, yeah, they're the hill folk, you know, it's like what they called the fairies and the sort of mythical people. And then in Appalachia, where they landed when they came over, they were called hill people too. They were the hillbillies, literally. And they were, you know, that that line of my lineage. Oh, I never thought, it, I mean, I've heard that expression, but yeah, I know, I never knew it came from that. It's yeah. so beautiful. Just it changes, it shifts like the whole perspective like I I think sometimes it's used in like a derogatory way oh yeah but yeah like learning where it comes from just beautifies it like reclaiming it reclaims it yes in my interview with Farai she talked about that because she's the hillbilly African right on yeah yeah and so talking about trying to kind of reclaim that and her her dad is from like Arkansas I think right like his whole life was yeah 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 Yeah. So, in your childhood, and you said you're close to both of your grandmothers, was herbalism or like a land based way of life that so many people our age don't get incorporated into your life? And like, what what threads do you see that tie into what you're doing now? We were in the city, and if you've ever been there, it's very, very urban. Like, we don't have a lot of parks. We don't have, I mean, there's like this huge kind of like central park area that is very green and sort of like protected but we don't have like a lot of parks or green spaces inside the city so in my family it was a lot about herbalism through the kitchen so both of my grandmas had like a small garden one of my grandmas was all just like container garden like literally like oh we finished our sour cream thing let's save it and then we'll plant a little plant here and have it (laughs) 
over there. And my other grandma had like a small, I don't even want to say land, but like backyard. And she did like manage to have like a pomegranate tree and a fig tree and like strawberries, roses. So it was a lot through the kitchen. I think there's also like a lot of my family was like hardcore Catholic. So there was also kind of like this, like, oh, yes to herbs, but not to herbalism, you know, like they would never call themselves herbalists, I think, because I think that has a lot to do with like the Catholic faith. So a lot of the ways which I started learning and it took me a long time to realize like, oh, no, I actually know things from childhood. I just learned through tea and making salsa and guacamole. And, you know, like, I probably didn't know how to make, well, I know I didn't know how to make a tincture or a decoction, but like they would always send those like, go grab a handful of cilantro. And we knew how to harvest cilantro, you know, or like piece of aloe because we need to add it to this movie or someone got burned. And yeah, it was, it was just a lot of like kitchen medicine, I would say. Mm-hmm. I love that sour cream container because it it simplifies it even beyond you need to go to the garden store and buy a pot if you're going to be doing container gardening or you know like you just use what you have. Definitely buckets, you know, like after buckets were used for like cleaning the house and whenever they crack, mm-hmm. they became pots. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you a move to the states? Because you, you live mostly in SoCal, right? Yeah. But you do go back to Mexico a lot. And B, undertake a more like formal, I don't know, study or life way of herbalism. Yeah. So I came to the US, I think, seven years ago. Wow. Which, I don't know, feels like a lifetime now. And the feeling is like, feel very recent. I, I don't feel like I went through, like since I came here as an adult, I don't feel like I ever like really like assimilated. Aside from the language, of course, and like my day-to-day, I don't know, like relating to to random people, but I still go back like every two or three months. All of what we cook is Mexican. We only speak Spanish at home with my parents, with my family. The places we go, we're always searching for tacos or Mexican food. <laughs> so we, I still feel, yeah, like very connected to that. Uh, yeah, people, I'm close to so-called LA in Chumash land. So yes, yeah, sometimes people are like, oh, so tell me about a hype restaurant in LA. I'm like, I have no idea. I <laughs> never go to the city. Well, also pandemic years. And before that, I was living in so-called San Diego, Kumeyaay land for five years. And I was living in a in a community called Chula Vista. I don't know if anyone has heard of that, but it's like, I want to say 80% Mexican. Like it, sometimes it would be like days and I didn't have to speak English. Like everyone at the store was Mexican or Mexican descent or Chicanx. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It still feels very <laughs> Mexican in California. Mm-hmm. And I first, started studying like formal herbalism through urban agriculture actually I used to have a job for the Mexican government and I was a sociologist and I had a really cool boss that wanted to start green gardens in they were not federal facilities but I I guess like state facilities 
So clinics, they wanted to have like medicinal gardens in clinics and then they wanted to have like little green gardens in daycares so the kids could have like organic food in their lunches. So I was in charge of that project and I fell in love completely with it and I started getting more involved. I didn't know anything. So of course I was like outsourcing everything, but they were teaching me and then I was just kind of like overviewing that project. And then I ended up like just quitting that job and devoting myself fully to great gardens in Mexico City. I was attracted to permaculture. And then, yeah, and then I just started with herbs kind of like, oh, neighbor companions, or what should we do to like not have as many aphids in the garden? And then, well, we have this abundance, so we might as well just start making pesto or something out of this because it's so overgrown. And then when I came to the States, I started working at a farm. So I was like living with the plants fully. Like it, it wasn't, yeah, I always feel like container garden in Mexico City for me was very like, kind of like playing, playing, growing food and medicine. And then when I came here and I was exposed to like farming, I I, I mean, it was completely, that, that just changed completely. And I got to know more herbs and I started just like falling for them. I was selling at markets, like being a marketeer. So I had to like learn different recipes so I could sell things and that was what really like triggered I, I want to go to herb school like I really want to check this out and go to herb school and I did an immersion program for two years here and then I think that was like the portal for me to say yes this is awesome because it was more of like a western training and I was like oh this is amazing but then I want to I want to find a teacher or a mentor to show me like on my people's ways because because I know this is not I mean that that is the way that is practiced in Mexico but it's not all of it and and I'm mixed too you know so I have this western part of myself and then I also have this native part so then I was very lucky to find curandera teachers in Mexico that I've been training on there for the past I don't know like three or four years now and that is I think where where I really landed on my practice and then just said oh amazing like now I have all the different tools and I can make it my own and I can make like my own herbal remedies and now when I take my medicine it's like oh okay fine like I I feel proud of of what it is because it feels very me it feels very mixed it feels very multicultural it feels like more genuine I guess I would like to know, I was going to ask if there's, you know, one herb that really comes to mind from your years of study. And if it's something other than Damiana, you can go there. But I, I wanted to ask about your name as well. And for me, that's not a plant I've worked with at all, really, except if someone gives it to me in like a blend and my mind just immediately goes to aphrodisiac, you know, like, yeah, really not a very deep relationship that I have with that plant. Yeah. I'd say my favorite plant ally is rose. I'm just obsessed with it. There's such grandma plants as well. <laughs> and my grandmothers and my mom and my aunties really love them. So since I was a kid, it's just one of those things like, oh, I remember since being a kid, they were in my life and they were like in my day practice. Damiana is actually, it came from one of the first herbal courses that I took. We just, it was like all women and femmes which usually is the case with herbalism. And we were just giving each other similar names to our birth names or to our chosen names of that, of that moment. 
So Damiana was just so similar to my birth name that that was my nickname. And I just absolutely loved it. And I kept it. So I go by Damiana now. But yeah, like there was like a Jessica and we named her Jasmine. And then I don't remember like a Jerry and it was like Gardenia. And we all had like <laughs> like this super cute herbal names. And I don't know if they stuck with them. I wonder that. And then Damiana, I'm, yeah, in the U.S., I definitely think I only see it like as an aphrodisiac, but I think it's also like because that's what sells, right? Like just, oh, even cacao or rose, like whenever I see it as aphrodisiac, people are very attracted to that because of, yeah, I, I guess in Mexico, it's more of like, um, well, and I, and I can see the tie with the aphrodisiac, but it's more of like a vitality herb. Mm-hmm. So it supports our whole metabolism and it really invites aliveness into our lives and just the joy of living. And it also, it's a mood lifter. The flower is like this bright yellow flower. And this year I had the chance of making an essence. So I'll send you one for sure. Mm-hmm. And in the Mayan jungle, it was just like so magical and beautiful. And they let me, it was like such an abundance. And the butterflies were like going crazy over them. You know, one of the tenders of the land heard that my name was Damiana. And they were like so happy to allow me harvest some of it. So I, I dried it and I was like traveling. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell costumes. <laughs> I dried it. I brought it back. So I, I still have like my first Damiana harvest here. Mm-hmm. I haven't crafted anything, just I haven't, I don't know. And then when I was processing it, I found some seeds. So I'm super excited waiting for spring to try to sprout them mm-hmm. uh, because I haven't really seen it growing. I don't know if it's South California, maybe it needs a little more rain, more humidity, more water here than what we have here, but I'm, I'm going to try for sure. And how do you tend to connect with or use rose in your daily life? I think rose is just one of those daily things, you know, like instead of multivitamin, it's rose something. (laughs) For several years now, I tended to rose garden. I don't know, it's just one of those signs whenever I'm moving, like, oh, are there roses? And even if it's just a small patch or a small bush, like in the front, little yard or by the door or whatever it's just like such a yes for me and such a guide for me so I think tending to them is like what like my main connection to them or like my daily connection to them and of course I love like harvesting the rose essence as well almost every day last year I was in a very in an amazing project with Mila and we we're on a mission of making 100 rose essences. So it was like, seriously, it was one of like the little lights of the first year of the pandemic for me. Just like, oh, waiting for the new rose to bloom. And then, or just like taking a walk and finding a rose bush and just, oh my goodness, we can add to our little project. And then when we had the 100 ones, we made like a little elixir with them which is so strong. <laughs> it, wow. it was meant to be like holding. And, and I mean, it's also like so different for everyone. But for me, the first time I took it, I was like sobbing. My heart was just like. So a hundred different roses were, yeah. were made in essence of and all. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness. In rose brandy. So mm-hmm. it was like extra or extra or extra roses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in bath, in water, you know, I also love cooking with rose. I was I was taught not to boil flowers, but as an infusion or infusion infusing butter or making rose salts for beauty products like Nothing like rose lotion or like a rose food soak. Just so, so comforting. And it has been a huge teacher for me about love, you know, self-love and unconditional love. Just a feeling of, of that deep knowing in your heart that you're worthy of love, that you are loved, and that you can give and receive love with ease. Like just, I don't know. I guess it, 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 it can sound as basic or as complex as you wanted it to be. Uh, but I think that's, that's also a rose, right? Like so multifaceted, the, the softest petal or the most subtle perfume, or it can be like the thorniest of boundaries and like a fierce protector that won't let you through. So, yeah. So much to say about her. I don't know. We can we can talk about this for hours. Well, it's reminding me that I you have done some really incredible posts about relationships, like romantic long-term love. <laughs> and you and your partner. And I just really appreciate like I, I see you say it can be whatever you make it. Like this, this is your template to create what you want it to be. And it doesn't have to look like you thought it would or would anyone like yeah and that's so true and I think the vast majority of us forget that and kind of just unconsciously fall into this is what it's supposed to look like I mean it's a lot we're under this society and this like whole system that really I mean since we're born is basically telling us like you're an object of desire for cis men and that is like your goal in life like you're basically like here to these men to hate yourself, hate your body, hate your hate others than you and see them as someone that you have to be, how do you say, like you you have to be like fighting for or um, in this like race to see who's who's better in competition. Competition, exactly, like competing with each other. And it's also like a whole path, but trying to step away from that and just being like, oh, I can be in relationship with a man in a different way. It's a lot of work, of course, like personally and as a team, but you can truly make anything out of it. You know, like I never thought in a million years I would be married or I would have like a wedding or anything like that. And and of course, you know, like from the outside, people can see like a very like traditional marriage. And after all these years, like we've shape shifted ourselves and our relationship so much. But we've, we've been in each other's lives since I was 15. Like I literally like we not as a couple, but that's what I mean. Like since 15, we've been like each other's crush, besties, partners in crime, lovers a couple mother and mothering each other reparenting each other we've been each other's therapists we've been each other's confidence everything yeah you know like when you when you live with someone in a committed relationship 
there are so many things that you can be there for each other. And then I think where I'm at, where I'm at right now, or where we're at right now is we just want each other to be our couple. You know, we don't want to give each other all of these other roles because it's a lot to put in the other person. And it's hard because we both work from home. We have been in isolation forever whenever we are here in so-called U.S. But truly finding like if I need a therapist, I'm going to look for a therapist. If I want to do ceremony, I'm going to try to look for that space. If I want to have a best friend. And not that we're not friends. I really think that our like one of the main pillars of our relationship is being friends, our like very, very strong friendship. But beyond that, just, oh, I just want you to be my partner and my, and I just want to have a couple relationship with you and I'm going to provide or look for the resources to find the other roles in my life and not, not put that on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Obviously, like the friendship aspect is so important. I often realize, like, if I'm going to go on a little day trip or even just to the grocery store or a real trip somewhere, I'm like, there's no one I'd rather go with than Owen. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. And just like speaking about anything, you know, I have some friends that are like, I can't believe you talk to your partner about that. I'm like, what? I can literally talk to him about anything. And like to this day, after so many years, like we still haven't run out of like things to talk about. And we are still like silly about the same things. And we still laugh about the same jokes. And also like not to romanticize a committed relationship, you know, like it is hard work. And it's like a constant choice of I want to be here and I have to work hard for this to be happening it's not this like oh first year into any relationship we're like everything's flowing no problem no commitment we can yeah we can see each other once a week that's it like just living together and I mean for us it's been like moving cities being immigrants together losing our privileges that we carried in Mexico and now we don't have as immigrants here, you know, so like realizing all of that, working towards having stability in another country, building community here, just a lot. I mean, a lot of hard things, but also it can feel traumatic at times, you know, it, it can feel as we lose parts of ourselves in this process whenever you are discriminated here and you've never even like known what what that was because you carried so much privilege before that you just don't have here so yeah at the same time like healing ourselves and putting in the work and healing together as a couple as well that reminds me I, I asked you before we talked if you've had any like big healing experiences and you answered I don't feel like there's a destination healed place it's too much from generations and there's only so much I can do. And I love that. You know, I have said a lot in the past, we have it on our little postcard when we send out medicines that healing is open-ended and endless. And because I, I think this is a place where a lot of people get hung up that they think healing is a destination. You get there and you're healed and it's done and you're good. And that's just not how life works. I wish it was <laughs> just like, oh, <laughs> so many miles less to go and we're almost there and we're almost there I think it's also I don't know like I don't see it as a straight line either you know it just 
I think healing comes in waves and especially for people that are survivors, you never know. Like I've had experiences where like I've done so much work on myself and I feel like I've come so far and then out of nowhere, you know, like just the most random little thing would trigger me or like send me spiraling down again. I'm like, no, I thought this wound was healed and I thought I could move move on from this and truly in my experience it's it's not and and the other thing like the ancestral part of it you know like just knowing that yes I want to take this responsibility of being an agent of change in my lineage in my family but even from for like the generations that I know you know like the things my mom has gone through and has survived and the things that my grandmothers have gone through and have survived. And of course, I'm sure I just know like a small little piece of their stories, but even just not knowing with words or not knowing from them, just connecting to them and knowing how hard it was. I cannot take on the task of healing myself and my and all of the generations of women in my family to do that. So we do what, what we can. I don't know. I think that can be taken as like, okay, then why should I even like try? Why should I even like, it, it, it can't be overwhelming to see the amount of stuff that surrounds us. But we do it to survive and to thrive in this life, right? Like it is our birthright to come here and experience joy and be happy. And then the path to that for me has been healing myself and healing my family. Yeah, also, like, you can't heal each other, you know, like, the, the, all of the things that others weren't able or couldn't or didn't want to do in their in their time, I also can't take on their, their stuff. Like, I can, I can only try for myself the best that I can. And the only tools that I have are the ones I have. Mm-hmm. And it does ripple out, you know, and especially, I mean, maybe not especially, but for those of us who do have descendants of blood. That's a huge reason to do it for those who don't. And for everybody, it, it ripples horizontally as well. Yeah. yeah. And like being an auntie, you know, like seeing my sisters now having kids and my besties having children. And it's such an honor to be invited into their lives and to be trusted with them, to like hold them or feed them or spend some time with them that of course I want to be a, a, a person that is doing this healing work for them and also for them to come to me if they ever want to talk about this stuff or if they ever need any type and not that I see myself as like a teacher I'll teach you how to heal baby girl <laughs> but just like sharing from my experience and yeah, just 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 talking about my path. Of course, they'll always have that person for them. Well, speaking of things that need healing, so I remember when you first posted about being attacked, crossing the border with a with a car full of medicine, and I I did always hope to hear you speak of it more. Um, and and you said that you would like to to talk yeah. about that today. So. Yeah, just please, however you want to go with it or whatever you'd like to share. I'm curious. Yeah, well, it was it was just such a horrible experience, but also like the, one of the most surreal things that has happened in my life. I've been working 
with indigenous and other vulnerated communities since I was 15, mostly in Mexico. And then some years ago, three years ago, over three years ago, I think, I was working with caravan of immigrants in Mexico and bringing herbal medicine. We did a whole fundraising here in the States. Thank you. I remember you were there for us as well. And you sent us so much of your amazing extra potent elderberry elixir that especially kids love at the shelters and I was so happy to give away but yeah anyway so I had a truck full of medicines and I was going to serve that day to an LGBT plus house because of course amongst the vulnerated also there are smaller groups that have it the worst so we were going to go there it was raining really bad I lived in Tijuana for one year So I feel pretty comfortable like going around. I'm not an expert, but I made the huge mistake of using like Google Maps or one of those apps to take me there. And with the rain, it just took me through a really just like sketchy neighborhood. It wasn't even a neighborhood, you know, like an establishment of um, tents and yeah. And eventually my car got stuck. This This guy comes to me. Are you okay? I roll down my window and he pulls out a gun. So he robbed me, took everything from me. I had a lot of cash for the Carval clinic, takes my jewelry and has a gun to my face and just tries to pull me from like my hoodie through the window. I don't know why he never opened the door. So like I put my, my feet on the door and he wasn't like a huge guy. So he could never like take me out from the window. And yeah, like I, I remember so vividly just, no, like tell like making the impossible decision of telling me of telling him do whatever you want you have to do I'm not going with you like if you need to pull that trigger do what you gotta do like there is no way I'm gonna go with you and and yeah I don't I honestly like I don't remember the exact thing that shifted him but I do remember I had a stamp of Virgen de Guadalupe Tonantzin which is in our tradition, Mother Earth, and then co-opted by the church as Virgin Mary. And he saw that on my board and he asked me, are you Guadalupana? And I wasn't at that point, but I said, yes. And she gave me the miracle of life, you know, like he changed. And after that, he took the gun out of my face and we were engaged in a conversation for, I think, like an hour about he was asking me about herbs my whole life I've been a super emotional person so if you ever asked me like how would you react if you were ever like attacked or if you were ever like in the your life was in danger I would probably answer like I would cry hysterically and just freeze and pee my pants like I don't know what happened that day it truly felt like one of the bigger experience in my life where I was channeling like someone else was speaking through me of course I was very nervous I was shaking I couldn't take off my rings I couldn't take off my jewelry but I was like words were just like flowing out of my mouth and I, I asked him like if you do you or your family need any medicine like I have everything I had like a whole drug for like I mean I'm not gonna say everything but we were like basically doing pop-up clinics. So we had a lot of stuff. And yeah, he was just very curious in herbal medicine. And I asked him like, please let me keep my life. Like, you're never going to see me again. I'm never going to press charger, charges. 
just please let me deliver this. Like, let me be the bridge to deliver this medicine because people are counting on this and they need it. If you need something, like I'm happy to pull stuff for you and your family as well. And yeah, like he finally said, okay, you know what? I'm going to help you. And he was the same person that saved me. So my car got stuck in the mud and he started like looking for debris and I don't know, like just random stuff, like just um, rocks and things to like make a little path. And he pushed my truck out of it. And then, yeah, like there were like all of these other coincidences around this story because the place where I got stuck, it was called the Canyon of the Roses as well. And then when I first started fundraising, it was also the image of a rose hip, like rose hips in my hand. So I was also very protected by Rose during that time and my grandmother's, of course. And I, I prayed to her. I was like, Don Nancy, please, if you let me leave, like I will serve for the rest of my life. I will wear you. And I have worn that hair. Like I have like all this jewelry. Like I I wear her, I wear her every day now. And like I have an altar in my house for Mother Earth. I keep fresh roses for her every day. And I've lived this year's extra, you know, like through her, like through a miracle she granted me. So very blessed. And at the end, the community guard, kind of like not the not like police or anything, but like the community organization of that establishment got there. So he asked me, oh my God, are they here for you? And I was like, yes, they're here for me. And all of this stuff, I didn't know anything. I was just working there, you know, but I didn't really have like that many connections. Like I didn't live there. And there were two trucks that got there for me because the only thing that I did that was like very, very, well, it wasn't the only thing, but one of the things that I think that really like saved me was when I first got stuck, I messaged everyone, like the folks from the shelter, other herbalists, my friends and TJ, everyone. And I was like, my car is stuck. Please send someone for me. And if you can, like, let's tow my car. But if not, like, just please send someone to get me because I'm like in this, I think of hell as that place. It was just like a canyon of nothing, Amber. Like there was no plants, no bees, no insects, no nothing. And I swear, I couldn't see with my eyes, but I saw like other bodies. And I was like, my parent and my mom are not even going to be able to bury me. You know, like they're never going to find my body here because there are other women's bodies here. Ah, God, I got chills. So yeah, when the guard, the community guard gets there, two trucks show up and then one of them kind of like comes closer to me and asks me if I need help. I'm like freaking out. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. So they're like yelling me from like the, yelling at me from a distance. Like you have to go that way, do this to kind of like get out and like trying to guide me, but then not getting closer because they saw I was so, I was freaking out. And then this guy just storms off. And before and when he was like searching for all the debris and everything, he asked me to roll down my window and he gives everything back. So have. he gives back like my jewelry, my passport, the money. Well, the money was the last thing. Like when he was going to run away from the scene, he like pulls out the cash, which, which was the last thing that he had. He just took $200 and gave me back the rent. And the last thing I told him was like, can I please have my wedding rings back? <laughs> 
And as I said that, I was like, this is so stupid, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like that, that, that means nothing in my marriage even, you know, and like my partner would never ask me for like, I mean, it was nothing, but I think it was also like a way of me acknowledging I was in control and that I could, and, and yeah, like after everything that happened, I worked a lot with different things, but one of the people that really brought me back to life was a curandera. And one of the things she told me was, he said everything, he, he did everything you asked him to. You know, you ask him to make a decision, he took a decision. He made the choice of helping, of helping you in that moment. Like all of the things that you command, that you were in control, like in this weird, very surreal way. But uh, at the end, he helped me too. And the other truck went after him and he got hit. So I never knew if he was killed that day. Oh my goodness. Because he attacked me. I actually spoke about this years ago in a podcast with Natalie in Earthspeak and she actually she told me like when I first met you in person like we we went on a lunch date just to talk about like the podcast and her project and just connecting like I also met her at Spirit Beavers I love her and it's been a long time and she told me she saw a person with a gun to my face and she like cleared that like she she like sent him like thank you you can leave now and she's the only person that has really told me that that she, that she saw like that energy around me but yeah I've also like I don't think a lot about him you know like for a time I yeah like it was just like very just like a long process of like really forgiving and letting that energy go you know it wasn't serving any anyone and certainly there was nothing I could do at the beginning like there were times we were talking before about like waves of healing and there were times where I would get triggered and like really hate him and like I, I was like I can't believe I have like all this anxiety now because of you I hate you I had a couple of episodes where like random men would approach me in the street or like at a grocery store and I would like have a panic attack and I was like on the floor just like freaking out and crying and yeah and then other times just like like my mom was very like not at the moment, but then having conversations with my mom, just being very like, who knows what he was going through that he did that, you know, like who knows how much, how desperately he needed 200 bucks to put yourself in danger like that, or even willing to kill you or take you or kidnap you. Yeah. Like all, all of these different levels of like feelings for him that now it's just like you know like even if it's not here anymore and that was also not my responsibility like other other moments or other twisted moments in my mind were like it was my fault that he died you know like it was mm-hmm. like I basically I got him killed so very multi-layered but now I rarely think of him you know and just I think I've just like unattached myself from him completely I don't know if you heard my my more recent interview with Maya about learning to like realizing that she had to let go of any anger around the the man who murdered her best friend. It, it it's a similar thing where yeah, like it it sucks and there are so many um real reasons to be angry from the trauma that this total stranger inflicted on you. 
And that's not the only possible path forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for the victims that go that way too. Totally. Like, yeah. I would never be like, love and light. And, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I think we, we deserve to be angry, you know, and to honor that anger and to be furious and wounded uh, because of that person and acknowledge that. And if you need to keep that in your life, like like for me, anger and fury, and not just from that, but from many different events, have been the fire that has triggered action mm-hmm. in my life. So I honor those feelings in myself as part of a process. But if you need to keep them for whatever reason, also like huge respect. Yeah. It sounds like like in your refusal to get out of the car, it sounds like you were really acting out of intuition like a primal instinct that this will not go good for me if I give up my ground here. And it reminds me of a book that I have been recommending publicly and privately for over 15 years now called The Gift of Fear. It was written by like the nation's foremost expert on violence. And I truly believe every woman should read it. Um, But his, like his number one thing, when you're in a situation like that, when you're approached, especially in any sort of public place, do not let the person move you to a secondary location. Never submit to being moved from where you are, because that's when you get killed or raped or whatever's going to happen. You know, it's, it's once they know that you're pliable and then, of course, if you're being moved from like a public to a private place, mm-hmm. so like you, your animal body knew what this, you know. I never heard that. But yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I totally knew because he told me, you know, he told me what he was going to do to me for how long, uh, which was forever, like literally until I starved myself to death or die for whatever other reason. So it was also very clear to me that I was like, I cannot. I will never live that, that life, you know, like I, I've had a beautiful life. Like I'd rather stay here. And yeah, like, like the biggest pain in my heart in that moment was like, they're not going to find my body. Like, it's not even about myself. Like this is going to kill my mom and my partner and my sister and my dad, you know, like this. And even after that, like getting out of there, I remember that one of the worst things was to tell my family, uh-huh. just, hearing my dad cry and everyone you know just like I'm feeling like the frustration of not being able to do anything really it was just really really hard I think when this happens too and and you have those horizontal relationships like of course no one was affected like I was but they were also deeply wounded from the just the reality check of what us as women and as women of color live and that this is just like an everyday reality for us. Like this, this could happen at any moment and not to live in fear, but I, I love that. I took a little note of it because like the gift of fear mm-hmm. and just honoring that in our bodies as well and seeing like how, how is that a teacher as well in that moment. Yes. I, I love the author because it could just be this very dry book of these are the statistics and this is what I've learned. But he, from the beginning is like, listen, women, you have this direct line to your intuition and it is what saves women's lives in these kind of situations. Mm-hmm. And he gives all these incredible firsthand stories where you just can't believe 
anyone could survive that, but it's because, and it, it, cause it's different in every time. There's not a one size fits yeah. all except for don't let them take you to the secondary location. Yeah. So it's always listening to your instinct and acting on it. That, that gets women out of violent situations with. Or like stating our boundaries, you know, like I, I, I didn't understand until like a very long time after this moment, but just like stating your boundary and then getting comfortable with your voice. Like only yesterday I had like this, oh, super annoying experience where I was like flying back home and I had this dude next to me occupying so much space you know like his legs are all spread out like his arms on the things from like on the separator things and just from the beginning I was still one where just like oh why do I have to sit next to this guy and eventually he's like watching this movie you know like he looks at you and kind of like tries to laugh with you and I never knew if he was like trying to hit on me or just like being annoying and I was just like with my headphones you know like trying to like fall asleep but at the same time I was was, like hyper aware Mm -hmm. and he ends up like touching my leg and I like got completely fired up like of course like because at the end and yeah, I was like, I can't believe you're in my space. You've been in my space this whole time. It's disrespectful because of this and this and that. Shame on you for touching another person's body without their consent. And yeah, eventually like the the, the person in charge of the flight or whatever it comes over and she changed my seat and of course he was just like I was just joking with you like why do you have to make such a big deal out of this chill down like you're acting crazy and I was like even more fired up about this and it's taking me so many years for me to be comfortable to like self-advocate and to like speak up when all of this stuff happens even if it's small you know or even if it's like a microaggression and of course that makes me an angry brown woman a crazy spicy person you know and eventually they just changed my seat but I was so angry Amber that I started crying like just just tearing up in anger I was like shaking and I feel it a lot in my hands whenever I feel that I don't know and my grandmother has arthritis so I'm always scared that it's kind of like an echo of hair emotions like unprocessed emotions and I was shaking and I started tearing up. And of course, I was embarrassed because I wanted to be strong and I wanted to be like, fuck you. Uh, sorry, I don't know. <laughs> and he just like looks back at me and smiles. Mm. And like, he's just like, and I'm like, oh my God, just like so angry. Mm. And and then I was like, why? Like embarrassed because I was crying. Like, I don't want to be crying. Like, I I want to be the bigger person here and I don't want him to smile. Like I want him to, I want him, he should be embarrassed of of himself and yeah, you know, and, and, and just like, I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to do this work like ever again, but I have to, like I owe it to others like me. And I also owe it to like other me's like other versions of me that couldn't speak that couldn't say no that couldn't like stand up and like raise their voice or state their boundaries or like all of this thing like defend themselves as well and yeah and yesterday a friend told me like when you're doing this you're also giving permission to others to do this you know like it's so important yeah, it's so important, but I still don't want to do it. <laughs> it's the worst burden. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like we were saying earlier that the healing is horizontal and like those moments of standing up for what's right are have these horizontal ripples as well. I'm sorry. You have to go through that. That's in that smile. That's just so nasty. And it, I think it like proves that your, your feeling about him was right the whole time. It wasn't that he accidentally touched. Of course not. Just, of know, course not. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I mean, I think the worst part of all of this is that we do this for ourselves and for other, others like us, but that guy doesn't give a shit. Like that guy there's no doesn't understand and there is no consequences for him. And it's literally like when you stand up to systemic oppression, being racism or misogyny, or you're just screaming into the void, like 99.9% of the time, you're just screaming into the void, mm -hmm. you know? And even if, yeah, like even if, okay, like I, I, I got home and I was like, well, my partner went for me to, to pick me up at the airport and I told him all of this and. And he was like, yeah, like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to go somewhere else? Do you want to, like, talk to someone? And I'm like, well, but even, I mean, not that I believe in cops or this other, like, uh, legal system. But even if I do, you know, like, now put, it, like, the labor of being a woman of color with a strong accent, an immigrant, like, how is that going to be for me? Are they even going to, like, believe me? Are they even going to, like, do something about it? Or am I also going to be now facing violence from like a, another instance of someone who is probably the same? Mm -hmm. It's just so layered. I wanted to talk about flower essences. And you, you said earlier when you're talking about the rose essence that you made with Mila, that you would just like go for a walk and come across a rose bush and make one. And you talk about this in one of your posts that you now have like a little kit that you can bring with you to make flower essences anywhere. So I, I, I want to hear about sort of your progression with them and how you, I don't know, frame their use in your life as medicine and the um, aguas serenadas. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to offer some agua real quick for us. Just speaking about all this susto and all this Ah, anger and tristeza. Yeah, just things a little bit. Yeah, well, flower essences, I think that is one of the other things that I was exposed to in Mexico, but I never really knew there were flower essences. And then when I was taught about flower essences here, it just kind of like, it took a while and working with curanderismo just sort of click like, oh, okay, so... Agua serenadas means serenaded waters. So they're like flower essence would be like a type of agua serenada. But for example, a sun tea is, a, is an agua serenada as well. Or like moon water is an agua serenada as well, which I mean, is also an environmental essence or like a moon essence. So there are a lot of like crossings there. But yeah, I think essences is, is just like one of the categories of agua serenada. And it, they can be serenaded by many different things, right? So for example, the water offering that you place in an altar for ceremony, that would be an agua serenada, but it's not necessarily for you to consume or to preserve or to take, 
afraid. So I think we also introduce in curanderismo like more herbal remedies or other offerings that are, yeah, I guess there are that are just not human-centered necessarily or not like human body centered in this dimension right here, right now. And Agua Serenada has also been like kind of like a portal through that. And now I carry my little kit. It's just, and look at my little baggie. <laughs> oh, I love those. <laughs> it's like a fun childish. <laughs> yeah. Little thing, but. I do travel a lot because of like my mutual aid work and my solidarity work. So sometimes I encounter some of the most amazing beings when I'm working and I love, I carry my little glass bowl, some smoke, either like a little saumerio or a little copal or something. And then a couple of droppers, and then one has water and another one has alcohol and a little cloth. Or even if it's like a bandana or something, just to place the bowl in a mini altar, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then it's just like an impromptu flower essence making, just meeting a being that, oh, my I feel good. I think a very important part of flower essences for me is also, I mean, you do take, I think you receive so much from like being there, but you don't necessarily have to harvest any, any part of the plant to be in communion with that energetic medicine and yeah it just has evolved so much from flower essences to we were also talking about like for example dragonfly essence which was I hold like a monthly essence circle so our third one two months ago we did cenote blue dragonfly essence and it was just like such a beautiful place and we were in the cenote which if you're not familiar and I don't know if they exist somewhere else, but I know they exist in Mayan territory in Mexico and they're basically like caves that open to underground rivers that are just like connected in this huge kind of like, they look kind of like this mycelial network, but they're actually like flowing rivers underneath the jungle, connecting like all bodies of water and bringing life like truly holding the the jungle outside. Mm -hmm. And you can visit some of these caves and go down. And they're also very energetically, they're really strong because they're supposed to be portals into the other world. So you can experience a lot of like, I don't know, like excitement or anxiety or nervousness. They're very, very like liminal places. So we went to one of these ones and it was really beautiful. And I had my bowl. And I was just like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to make like a cenote essence. And then the blue dragonflies came to the bowl to just like bless that little container and drink some water. And it was just amazing. It was just amazing to share that with everyone. And then, yeah, just carrying. And I see, I was at another, a lot about like, a liquid picture like a liquid picture of a moment and time Mm -hmm. and then we get to carry it not only in an image but in a little bottle that can be taken internally Mm -hmm. so it was pretty much i i've had the most amazing experiences making this medicine is very very dear 
my heart. And I also feel very comfortable sharing them. And in this essence circles that I was telling you about, we we take the medicine together. So we collectively receive whatever we get to receive from them together as a group. So I also love developing, just holding that space and just guiding like a little mini journey for all of us to give ourselves the time to receive from the essence and just taking like a little, like, I don't know, self-care has turned into this like whole trend <laughs> thing about like buying and consuming, 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 and like investing so much money. And I mean, I guess in a way it's also buying an essence. <laughs> but it's also like the gift that keeps on giving like from one little bottle with you could stretch it out for the rest of your life if you wanted to yeah that man can, can right forever forever and I've shifted a lot of um also I don't use brandy anymore for the longest time I resisted that because I really felt like the brandy was like a like a sweet way of holding that living water that imprinted living water but this year i and since i started the circles i shifted to glycerin mm. which has felt amazing you know like in some of the circles we've worked with the essence as uh lip balm and just connecting to kind of like our mouth and our lips and our words i also wanted to be more accommodating to more folks you know people that don't want to work with alcohol necessarily and more than human people you know like I feel really good about like brushing my dogs with a little glycerin uh, mm -hmm. essence and then just working with them like that or I mean through the summer just making little ice cubes with the essence and then just knowing that there wasn't really any alcohol there to give out to the plants or the trees and put in or put there for like the bees to drink some water or any being that needed some water and they just have like a little bit of freshness there so yeah instead of like constricting myself I think that glycerin has also kind of like opened myself to all of these other ways of working with essences it's super soothing to the skin it's also really sweet so you can use it as a sweetener and I mean you with essences it's all about frequency and not so much about quantity but just adding like a few a few drops to your tea or your coffee and then it gives you like that light sweetness and at the same time you're commuting with the vibrational energy of the flowers and so yeah yeah do you do 50 50 water slash essence to glycerin I do 60 glycerin and then 40 water flower essence. Mm -hmm. And the mother I still preserve in alcohol just because mm -hmm. I want it to last forever. Yeah. And I always think like, oh, what a precious legacy to leave to whoever is interested. Mm -hmm. You know, like what a beautiful way of like gifting to if, if I ever have children of my own or if I ever have like a niece or a nephew that's interested in that and I had I had a dream like many years ago where I received like a kit of essences of mother essences mm -hmm. and I already had like somewhere to begin with you know I, I didn't have to craft my first one because I already had one so that just 
kept stayed in my mind and I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep the mothers. And I don't even do brandy. I usually do like um, 80 proof or something. Mm. So they're stronger. Yeah. I like that people are kind of expanding beyond just the traditional flower essence idea. And like you spoke about, you don't even have to necessarily cut off the flowers from the plant and drop them in your water. A lot of people now are just holding the water near the plant and letting the vibrational imprint happen that way. Or like you're speaking about these dragonflies can imprint or just just the moment, you know, like the moment when the sun rose behind the redwood tree is now in my essence. I love seeing people, uh, you know, kind of branch out more into these essences of flowers, animals, cosmic phenomena, moments, thoughts. Yeah. I think it's also part of like decolonizing our practices, you know, like they're, I mean, the way I was first taught about flower essences, there were so many rules, mm-hmm. like don't touch it with your hand and don't let your shadow be casted in the in the <laughs> bowl and all of this like very, and I think because the, the, the more popularized, or at least for me, were Bach, Bach, flower remedies, I think they're called, Bach flower remedies. But I think also like part of like rebelling against like, no, why do I have to follow this dude's rules? You know, like I want to invite play into making our serenadas and it's supposed to be fun. And I, I want to, I don't want to be like walking on eggshells and like asking myself that I did it right. And then I end up with a mother and I don't know if this is correct or not. Like what if like my finger accidentally like casted a shadow on this and then, you know? Yeah. It makes the imposter syndrome worse for people who are already feeling that as they try to get into herbalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And just so many different ways, you know, like also tuning into the subtle things of of like the subtle plant language. Like for me, it's really interesting to, okay, I see a plant with many flowers and I feel like a yes in my heart about making a essence, like which bloom am I going to choose? And then, and then I usually go for the ones that when I'm not going to harvest, I usually like choose the ones that are facing down. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, perfect. Just like I'll receive that little message in the bowl and I don't even have to do anything else. And you then I'm just like, oh, sit in the bowl of water without having to be cut from yeah. the rest of the plant. Yeah. And then they're alive, you know, like I'm thinking, oh, they're actually like transmitting from the roots. Yeah, and like from the soil in that moment, and like that connection was never caught. It's just like flowing there, or the sunflowers. Like right now with the fall, like the 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 sunflowers are like going to seed, and they turn into this huge showers of like <laughs> the most amazing messages. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Like just stand under a sunflower head shower and. <laughs> receive all the medicine and I always go for those like oh perfect like I'm gonna bring my bowl and sometimes they're like the biggest bowls Mm -hmm. I want to write another piece about like choosing the container I think also traditionally it's supposed to be like a clear perfect without edges without brand bowl and then yeah I just I've used jicara like an old gourd and if it's not or, or I don't know like um 
like a bowl that was my my grandmother's or it wasn't even a bowl like a plate like a little plate that was my grandma's and then I inherited that and that is like such a precious flower essence maker for me Um, but it can really be anything like just inviting what feels good to you and I think that is one of the things that I love about shifting my perspective to Aguacerenada because Aguacerenada don't they they're not necessarily contained in glass they're not necessarily activated with the sun they're not necessarily like there are all of these different ways of making them and of making them yours yeah I love that flexibility and creativity that you can bring to that Mm -hmm. Uh, the the thing about the plant still the flower had still been connected to the root I heard Dr. Zach Bush talk about that very thing on a podcast once where when they've studied a just plucked tomato, literally a minute ago, it was picked versus one still on the vine. The nutritional content is really quite different. It immediately starts losing certain things. I I wish I could remember what it was. It's been years since I heard him say this, but so he said that in his garden now, he just eats them on the vine. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I have this phrase written here in my notes and I think it was connected to this dragonfly essence that you made. I think you'll know what I'm talking about where you, you shared with me about retrieving yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this flower essence is connected to Ixchel, who is a Mayan. We, we're not taught. Well, I wasn't taught of um, really gods and goddesses in Mayan and Mexica traditions. They're more of like, incarnations of the divine and i don't know if that translates really well but yeah i wasn't i wasn't taught really like about goddesses but so ixchel is like this incarnation of the divine related to the moon she reigns the moon and all of the aspects of the moon so cycles fertility birth childbearing pregnancy creativity biorhythms cycles of the earth as well and there is this beautiful legend of Ixchel. Well, it's like a super long myth, but long story short, for the sake of the podcast, she's basically destroyed. Her body is shattered in different pieces and she dies. So she goes to, she's taken to her father, her grandfather, and she's taken in this like type of, of canoe. And she's covered with 400 dragonflies. So 400 dragonflies surround her with the vibration of them, the subtle vibration of them being alive for 13 days and 13 nights. And finally, when they're ready to let her go into Asenote, into the other world, the dragonflies fly away and she's alive again. Like she's been put back together. Like, the dragonflies glue her together and bring her back to life. So for her to be the moon again and for her to come back and reign all the different realms that she, realms that she governs. So yeah, I, I think I was talking a lot about how this blue dragonfly essence was helpful for piecing myself back together and retrieving myself back into being alive and to take agency of my own life and 
again, not that I'm there yet, not that uh, we're ever going to reach any destination. But as we heal ourselves, as we cure ourselves from susto, which is losing small parts of our, of our soul, we are retrieving ourselves back into life. That's so lovely. I'm a religious studies major. I was. And I've continued to, you know, study mythology and all sorts of traditions around the world. And that's a really common thing is this story of or or that often when people go into shamanic states, or I've heard of this a lot with DMT as well, they experience like being dismantled piece by piece and then put back together in some way. And often there is like a, a helper creature or element or something, but, oh, I just love that image of 400 dragonflies. Can you imagine the, the vibration, how good that would feel, the medicine? Of <laughs> and I think 400 for Mayan is like the number 20 for Nawas, which means a lot, you know, just like in Spanish, we say mil, like mil gracias, a thousand times, thank you. Or in English, maybe a hundred. It just means like a lot, a lot of them, you know, like imagine how many dragonflies to cover a whole canoe. And, and yeah, what, and, and sometimes in life, like what seems as our coffin is actually the crib to be born again right like that that that's similar of like it seems so hard and yes I don't want to like die or let this part die of myself only to come back yeah whole yeah you, you feel like you're just like in the dirt but you're composting into exactly into life really you know into beauty and creation um, I'm excited to send you and your listeners to share this like magical dragonfly yes yes so you will offer to patrons um the ability to enter a giveaway and receive one of these dragonfly essences and tell people please about your patreon and what you offer there yeah thank you i don't know i think that just for many years i was offering on instagram and organizing classes online with in this past couple of years and it felt like a lot of energy was leaking like it didn't I didn't really know where it was going when when my account started growing a little bit I think at the beginning like since I knew basically every everyone was my friend everyone was like oh either I took a class with or they took a class with me or I knew through the farm or they were my clients that I decided to do this little platform and uh, yeah I share a lot about like my perspective on herbalism from like my Western studies and all this kitchen medicine I grew up with, uh, being born and raised in Mexico, and then curanderismo studies as well. And then a big part of my practice is community work and mutual aid work. So just reporting back on that and truly for me, acknowledging herbalism as a tool for showing up for others and decolonizing health and bringing a dignified life into communities who ask for it or who want that so yeah mostly that a lot of recipes and just like fun ancestral foods which I'm also obsessed with and that I love to carry and then the the monthly essence circle is part of some tiers there as well 
So I open it every month. Like if you just want to try and come in for one month and just drop in and it seems like too much of a, a commitment, that's totally fine. I'm sure I'm forgetting half of it, but that's what's coming up yeah. <laughs> right now. My zines, uh, I have a little uh, project also of like resource resource gathering and storytelling collectively and yeah I'm like about after so many months I'm about to finish printing uh one called Amorosa that is all about roses so it's all about like recipes and stories on roses and remedy making and it's so awesome I'm so excited about this and hopefully I I wanted to to keep doing this like at least once a year or at least two times a year and just have like several different volumes because who can have enough rose like no one can have enough rose medicine I have all of these different resources and I always like save whenever I think I have one of yours like a long time ago you put together like this sort of materia medica or something like that uh, about rose and I have yours so yeah we I don't think we can have enough of them yeah, totally. Yeah, that was a um a patron PDF, I think, that went along with my Rose Medicine episode of this podcast a few years ago. Mm. Oh, oh, see. I'm gonna revisit for sure. Yeah, and, and it features recipes and things from many herbalists. Your Instagram is just so good too. So of course I will link to that. You talk about all the things we've talked about here today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, well th- that one I think is more like I, I've never saw myself as artisty and just through photography. And I think really crafting herbal medicine has been a way for me to acknowledge, oh, this is making art. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't have to be like a fine painting or going to like a fine school of arts in order for you to make art through your hands and your medicine. Right. And this is going back to the Agua Serenadas and how it's, it doesn't have to look a certain way, like what art looks like or what herbal medicine looks Mm -hmm. truly infinite. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, especially if they're new to herbalism and they think, oh, I got to memorize the actions and the materia medica is that that's not what you have to do at all. This is an art form and it's just another avenue for creative expression in this life. 100% like finding your own way you know like I google like even if I read this or I know this like oh yeah like herbal actions of calendula and I'll just remember but then the real development of my relationship to them is growing them in my garden you know and like working with them connecting through them to the sunshine and how does sunshine feel in my body and in my heart and developing that relationship and that healing like walking again that little path in my mind where I can go there that is what feels very mine and that is what like the herbalism practice is about I think everything else like just there are so many amazing books out there that we can just like open and bookmark and just google a lot of like the constituents I'm not saying it's not important but I think it's like the least important part and and also the amount of things like I, I think that herbal school and a lot of like herbalism in the states I see about like hundreds of different plants right and like hundreds of different actions and all of these ways and it always brings me back to I think I read this but in in Rene's Instagram but just like 
go back to a few herbs. Like if you can have like a great relationship and learn a lot about how 10 herbs work, that's amazing. Like for life. Yeah. For life. That'll get you through. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Damiana. So. Oh, thank you so much, Amber. Me too. Me too. Hope we can connect again soon. Like, please let's not allow it to be years. before we gather again in the flesh or at least check in my little one just turned five so I'm feeling a little (gasps) bit more wiggle room in my life wow I can't believe she's five now in that I met her first in your womb (laughs) okay thank you thank you thank you for taking these medicine stories in I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more, more than I can list there, mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.